So Jesus tells a two-sentence story about a man who stumbles upon great treasure in a field. Do you remember the story? He finds this treasure in this field, and so he does what anyone would do. He hides the treasure. He puts it back. Maybe covered up a little bit more. We don't know, but we know that he found something of extreme value, and he's like, I'm going to... I'm going to put it back where it was and hope that nobody else finds it. And he's thinking in his mind. He's got a little energy. I mean, he's just walking through the field and now, now he's got a little motivation. I, I've got to acquire that field. I, I can't take the treasure that's stealing. But under law, if, if, if I can just buy the field, then anything that is, you know, I've got the rights to anything. And, and so that's, that's, that's what he does. He goes and, in church, he sells Everything. He tells everything that he has so that he can go and he can buy the field. Now, I understand within the story, you can make an argument that this story has a few different meanings. And we're not here to talk about that and debate that because it does. Okay? But here's the thing that we cannot argue. This story Jesus is telling deals with earthly possessions. Like that's what Jesus is using to teach a story. He's talking about earthly possessions. So this particular story has a couple of meanings. All right. One of those lessons does talk to us about our possessions. Money. And within these two sentences, the man, think about this. The man is willing to get rid of everything that he currently has. All right. I mean, you just put yourself in your shoes. I, I'm going to sell off everything I have except the clothes on my back. So that I can go buy later, because, you know, it's not like happening overnight, like I'm not selling everything in this moment. And then by the end of the day, I'm buying. I've got to sell this stuff. And I gotta, I gotta get on Facebook Marketplace, and I gotta sell over here, and I gotta list it on eBay over here, and I got Craigslist over here, and I gotta get rid of all this stuff. I gotta take care of all this stuff, and in hopes that I can reap the reward in just a little while. And it says that the man goes, and in his joy, in his joy, he is willing to take this risk and sell off everything, because the reward is of such greater value. And this is just one of many references to money and possessions that Jesus teaches in. And in fact, 15% of everything that Jesus says, think about this, 15% of everything that he says relates to the topic more than his teachings on heaven and hell combined. Jesus talks about money. He talks about worldly possessions. The question is asked, why did Jesus put so much emphasis on money and possessions? And Randy Alcorn in his book, the treasure principle makes this case. And it's true. And it's very simple. There's a fundamental connection between your spiritual lives, between our spiritual lives and how we think about and handle money. There's a connection there. And Jesus knows there's a connection there. Jesus knows that there's going to always be the temptation to put money and possessions and what they bring us on a throne. Instead of him. And so there is this connection between our spiritual lives and how we think and handle money. And so for the next two weeks, we are going to focus our teaching and our life group conversations on money.
Then in three weeks, at our birthday celebration, we are going to share some big news about Max. News that is going to impact the rest of our year as part of a year-long celebration of God's faithfulness to this congregation. Next week also, at the conclusion of our service, our trustees will present the spending plan, a.k.a. budgets. That's what most people call them. We call them a spending plan uh, for 2024. That's going to be next week at the end of the service, just so you know. Now, speaking of spending, a church that seemed to seem to have God's attention as Paul is writing about them in one of his letters to the church at Corinth. And so I want to use their story as part of our instruction today. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 through, we're going to do 7 in your life. 7 this morning should come right there. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we gave themselves this act. in our love for you. See that you excel in this act of grace also. All right, so Paul's writing this letter to the, the, to the church at Corinth. It's actually his second letter. And in this letter to them, he brings up in the Macedonian area. And, and there's a couple things I want you to, to notice from this. Okay, the Macedonian church was begging to give. Uh, that's every minister's dream. I mean, right here in this verse, this is every minister's dream. Like Paul is like right courageous of the church. He's like, these people are begging to give. Now, we've got some generous people. I just want to I want to tell you that right now. We have people that uh, they give behind the scenes and, and only our trustees and our bookkeepers know about their gifts. And we've got some people that have just come up to me at different times. They said, hey, you know what? Um, I've, I've got a little bit extra money right here. Here's some money. Use this uh, to, to meet a need. I mean, I can look around the room and you're, you're here in this room. There, there, there's people that have said, hey, you know what? We, we've had a good year. Here's a little bit extra. Like, like, like those, that's awesome. Like, like the church is doing very well. Uh, we talk about this in our leadership teams. Um, we're, we're not. We're not knocking down any doors, but let me tell you, financially, this, this church is at the best place it has ever been. And, and that ha happens because of two things. That happens because uh, we try to be thrifty, we try to manage very well, and it happens through your generosity. But this Macedonian church, they're like, please, please, let us be part of this. Let us be part of this giving the needs of other churches. And so the Macedonian church was begging to give. But here's the thing. 
I mean, it's written right there in the text. They had not simply gone through affliction. They had experienced a great trial of affliction. It says they were in deep poverty, which when you break this down, it means that it was rock bottom destitution. That's what it means. The word describes a beggar who has absolutely nothing and has no hope of getting anything. That's their current circumstances. As we say out in the country, they were poor. I mean, they couldn't afford the O and the R. I mean, they did, they, they, that's how bad things were. Okay? Now, we could talk about their difficult situation, but I, I want to tell you this, just based on things that were happening to other churches, it most likely, their circumstances were there because of religious persecution that they were facing. Their difficult situation probably was caused in part by their faith. For they have probably lost their jobs. If you all remember a couple weeks ago, we did the seven churches series where we talked about Ephesus and what they were going through and they would not take Revelation, the book of Re- not, not to get off on a tangent here, but the book of Revelation wasn't just written for future generations. It was written for people in the day and the mark of the mark was for those who worship pagan gods and Christians would not accept the mark. They wouldn't take the mark upon them, and therefore they were not allowed. Anything else on the throne but Jesus. And their circumstances did not hinder them from giving. As a matter of fact, when you reread this text, they gave joyfully in their poverty. And they gave excessively. They gave everything that they could and then some. And here's the thing, the other thing that I want you to note from this. Paul wants the church, he, he's telling the church at Corinth, I want you to excel in all things, including your giving. Go back and look at verse 7 of this this passage. But as you excel in everything, you're doing great. As you excel in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in earnestness, and in our love for you, See that you excel. I know the ESV says it this way, but I'll explain it. See that you excel in this act of grace also. The act of grace literally means gracious act of giving. Paul desires that the Corinthian church excel. last year, when we started talking about our 10-year celebration and how to celebrate, 
our leadership team has decided that we will be more generous this year than any of the previous 10 years of Rock Creek. We want to excel in the act of giving. And we're going to be more generous. This is going to be our biggest year financially. And we'll talk some more next week about trusting God. When you do that, it, it, it's cool. I mean, and you know some of the popular Old Testament teachings and what the Bible says about that. We're going to live that out like no other year, all in celebration of what God has done. But if we're going to excel in the act of giving, we need to know today what the Bible says about this act. So flip over <clears throat> chapter 9. That uh, is often used as part of the teaching on giving, and we've certainly just a couple of points from this passage to hopefully spur you along in giving. Let's pick up in verse 5. So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to go on ahead to you and arrange in advance for the gift you have promised so that it may be ready as a willing gift, not as an exaction. The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, he, um, he abound in every good work. As it is written, He is distributed freely. He is given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seeds to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. Goes on to write, by their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of their submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others. While they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you, thanks be to God for His inexpressible gift. All right, there's a lot there, and we're only going to hit on a couple things. The first thing is this. Church, you need to know this. This is important to God. God wants you to give willingly and not begrudgingly. He wants, and parents, like we we want kids in our households to do things with a willing spirit versus the, do I have to? You know, I mean, you get it. You've been there. You've, you've raised up your children. You've given them a chore list. You've given them some expectations, some things as part of your household that they are responsible for. And your desire as a parent is that they'll do it willingly. That, that, that they might even do it joyfully because of all the blessings that you as parents have bestowed upon them. And so you give them these responsibilities. And, and, and parents, well, we've been there, and you probably, I know I was, I was the kid that tried his darndest 
to get out of doing what mom and dad wanted me to do. I tried to con my brother. My sister was five years older, and so she kind of had a little leverage on me. She would con us to do things too. We would do everything we could to try to get out of it. All right, and when we had to do it, we never really did this with like this great, amazing attitude. Same thing applies right here for you and I today. God has this desire that you will give willingly. I mean, verse 5, he starts out with this. So I, I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to go on ahead to arrange in advance for the gift you have promised so that it may be ready as a willing gift, not as an exaction. God wants you to want to give. Let me say that again. God wants you to want to give. Like he, He's thinking that, man, I've given you everything, like your life and everything that you have. No matter how much, no matter how little compared to each other, God has given you everything, and He wants you to want to be willing to share that, to give back. He does not want giving to be some burdensome task that is treated you know, like your like your monthly bills. We, we we live in this day and age, and you know I, I, all of ours are, or most of ours are set up on this like automatic thing, and so money goes in and the bills just happen, and that that eases the burden a little bit. But it's like, man, <clears throat> look at those bills, look at that balance go down and go down. I uh I <laughs> I saw this this morning, and I'm like, oh. I went to Florida back in October, all right? And they have toll roads, and now they're toll roads. You don't even throw the quarters in the basket like you used to as a kid when you were going down the turnpike and everything. Uh, now, and you, very few of them nowadays, do you even make change? Do you even talk to somebody? Most of them, you just drive through the little toll thing right there, and they just take a picture of your license plate. Next time I go to Florida, I'll be borrowing somebody's car. And, and uh, they just send you a bill in the mail, right? I mean, that's just that. That's what they do nowadays. And so, you know, I did this in, in late October, and then we, we got the first one around the 1st of December, and, and it's a paper bill that's not set up automatically. And it's like, we just we don't get a lot of these, and it got lost. You know, it got kind of got in the shuffle. I'm sure somebody was coming over, and, and we had to clean the house real quick, and we just threw things places, and y'all been there, I know, right? And, and we, we just, we shoved this, we shoved this stuff, in, 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 in the closet or whatever the case may be, and we forgot about it. And I got another one, and it's just like this. Ugh. And it's only like $9, and now there's a $1.50 late fee because I, I missed the 30-day the window to pay for this thing. And there's just this burden to pay this $9, now ten fifty bill. That's not the attitude that God wants you to have when it comes to giving. He desires that this is a willing action on your part. The Macedonian church was willing. They were begging to give. And, and this was not out of their excess. We'll talk about that next week. They were poorer than you can imagine, and they wanted to give. That's the spirit that God desires. Look at verse 7. God does not want you to give reluctantly or under compulsion. And then there it is, right? God loves a what? 
cheerful giver. We know that God loves all of us. God loves you at your absolute worst. But show me in the Bible where there's a single character trait attached to God's love. This is the place you'll find it. The, the thing that like stands out to God, the thing that is like pops off to God on His radar is cheerful giving. Like that's the spirit in which God desires we are willing to, to write the checks or to do the online thing, whatever. He desires that you and I be like the Macedonian church who gave generously. He wanted to do even more. Here's the biblical truth that flows out of this. What you put into giving is what you will get out of giving. We say this in everything you do. We say this with your participation in life groups. We say this to our students. We say, we, we say this to our kids. We say this to our teachers. We say this, we say this to everything because it's a life truth. What you put into it is what you will get out of it. And that's the very principle that he's talking about here. Look at verse 6. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. There's a major element of trust right here in this passage. The farmer. The farmer has to trust in the growing process. If he puts seeds in the ground with some fertilizer and some good weather and some watering, he, he prays and he hopes, he trusts the process that his investment into the ground is going to yield a crop. And he has to take some of that seed. He gets this crop. He has to take some of that seed from that harvest and he has to repeat the process for the next season. He has to trust that what he sows he is going to receive back. Do you trust God? And He says to you and I that the more you give, the more you're going to receive. And we trust God with all eternity. Don't we? I mean, Lord, you said that if I, if I just ask you into my heart, and I repented, and I confessed you before man, and then I was baptized into your name that, that I'm going to heaven. Like, I trust you with that, God. I trust you with everything moving forward in my life, eternity. I trust you with my salvation. And we trust God for provision. Lord, things aren't adding up. need some help. We, we've prayed a lot of prayers around this place over the years for God to provide and we trust that he does and he has we trust god for healing i mean you're sitting there man we got this this, this deal going on whatever the deal is we're going to write on that connection card we're going we're going to let caleb and katrina know so that we can put it places and we can get it in the the email that man i need prayers for healing and i trust that god's going to take care of this and we trust God for wisdom. I'm in this place. I don't know what to do. Let me, let me read God's Word. Let me talk to those <clears throat> who, who have some wisdom. And let me, let me make wise decisions. God, help me with this. We trust Him in all these areas. Do you trust Him with your finances? 
Do you trust that the more generous you are, the more you sow, the more you will reap? And we're going to talk about the heavenly investment next week. That's the question on the table, so you trust it. Now, here's the thing. The first step in trusting, or, or let me ask this, do, do you know do you know what the first step to trusting God without giving is? Because it's right here. It's in this text. Look at verse 7. It's inside in my heart first that you're going to give. I mean, I remember the days, I, I mean, I'm that old. I remember the days when we used to pass these offering plates. Right? Maybe some of you can remember those days. And, and they're going down the line, and, and you're there, and you're like, oh, like that. Oh, that's the first thought. That has, that's the first time you have actually thought about, I'm guilty of this. Well, not me, not you. That's the first time I've actually thought about what I'm actually going to put in the plate. And I pull out my billfold, and I look, and I'm like, okay, I got a couple of 20s. I got a 50. I got a 100. Because, you know, that's it. And a 50. Oh, yeah. So let me just, so let me just take these. And, and, and we've been there like like we're we're sitting there in that moment as it's happening, and that's when we've actually first put any thought into it. And he says right here, you mean you know you need to decide in your heart what you're going to give. The farmer collects the harvest. And and he has to decide how much seed he is going to keep from the harvest to plant for the next year. You as a giver whether it be your family that does this, <clears throat> whether it just be husband and wife and the head of the household that do this, or, or you, the individual. You need to decide first what you are going to give. We have conversations in our household at the beginning of every year. What's the goal? What's that look like this year for us? You set a goal for the year. When you want to talk about trusting God, God, I'm going to give this. And here's how much I'm going to give each week, each month, each whatever. This is the goal. This is what I'm going to do, Lord. Now, obviously, if your income changes, if things happen, you can adjust accordingly. However, when we make a conscious decision about giving and then we follow through with that, man, we are telling God that we cool thing. As we do this, as we live this very thing out, listen to what happens. It's in this text. You will be enriched in every way. That God's going to give you everything you need. He may not give you every desire of your heart. He may not give you all you want. But he is going to enrich you in every way so that you can continue to be generous. So that you can continue to supply the needs of the saints. And here's the cool thing that happens. This is the coolest thing that happens out of this. By your giving. Okay? It, it's not just you that reaps the reward of blessing and God loving the cheerful giver that you are becoming. By your giving. 
you are now blessing other people. You, you, you are now contributing to those in need. In this passage, I encourage you to go back and read it. It gives them an opportunity to grow in their faith and express gratitude and thanksgiving. Like, like your giving helps other people. So we're going to pass the offering plate. Breaking them out. No, I'm just kidding. We'll never do that. But I do want to challenge you right now. As, as, as we walk out the door here in just a minute, I, I want to challenge you to examine your giving habits. We're going to talk about trust all the more next week. We're going to talk about what happens when we actually test God in this. What His Word promises. And many of you have lived this very thing. But we're also going to talk about this widow who said, you know what, I just got a little bit, I'm going to give it all. And, and we're going to see that throughout different stories this year. And how every person who was generous and gave, not out of their excess, not out of their abundance, but gave because they trusted the Lord, you're going to see the blessings that happen. So my challenge to you this week is to go and examine your habits of giving. Have the conversation. Decide in your heart. What's your attitude? Are you cheerful? We just ask that you trust God. Hey, Father, we love you and we thank you for this day and thank you for your word, how it meets us, how it convicts us. But God, I pray that it encourages us. I pray that it spurs us on in obedience because <laughs> this is certainly one of the areas that, that when we test you in this, there's a benefit that happens. Not, not only are we storing up treasures in heaven, not, not, not only are we making an investment into our eternity, things happen. Your provision, you enrich us in every single way. We know this isn't about prosperity. We know that <coughs> this isn't the get-rich-quick scheme. This is about trusting you with every aspect of our life. Letting you be in control of every aspect of our life and reaping the blessings that come with that, Father. So may we take this lesson of the Macedonian church who was begging to give, to be part of this. Lord, may we experience that spirit here. Amen.